0: Radical Personal Finance is presented to you free of corporate advertising thanks to the patrons of the show. If the show brings at least a dollar of value per month into your life, please consider becoming a patron. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Today on the show, we dig into compound interest and we go through the lessons that we can learn from the magic penny. You've heard the example, right? The magic penny that doubles in value. What are the actual lessons of that? Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets and I'm your host and today is Monday, February 23, 2015. If I offer you two choices, one is a million dollars cash today, or the other is a magic penny that doubles in value every day for a month, which of those would you choose and why? I would guess that for most of you, that's not the first time you've ever been asked that question. Uh, People who listen to this show generally are not new. They didn't just fall off the cabbage truck or the turnip truck or this isn't your first rodeo or whatever. uh, I don't know what you call that in language. Whatever saying you want to apply from the south. So we talk about turnip trucks and cabbage trucks and rodeos. I don't know what you New Yorkers talk about. Uh, But people who listen to this show, they're not new to these concepts. And so I'm certain that you've seen this illustration. But my next question is, what are the lessons that you've taken from this illustration? What are the lessons that you've learned? I want to walk you through five specific lessons in today's show that I think that you can learn from this illustration. Now, before I get into the specific lessons, though, I do want to mention to you the numbers involved because it may have been a while since you've actually looked at the numbers involved. I'm going to run through this quickly on the, on the, in audio format. Um, And I'm I'm taking the risk – anytime I go through numbers, I take the risk of it being boring in an audio format. But I think it's important and I think I can do it quickly enough that it's not boring. But how much money is your magic penny worth at the end of a month, a 31-day month? Any idea? Well, let's do the math. If you start with 1 cent on day 1 and double it each day, on day 2 you have 2 cents, day 3 4 cents, day 4 8 cents, day 5 16 cents, day 6 32 cents, day 7 64 cents. Day 8 $2.28, next 256, $5.12, $10.24, $20.48, $20. $40.96 and day 14 you're up to $81.92. 163.84, 327.68, 655.36, $1,310.72 on day 18. 19 is 2,621, 5,242, 10,485 on day 21, 20,971 on 22, 41,943 on 23, on day 24. Day 25, $167,772. This is the time in the illustration at which if your friend took the million dollars, you're still looking pretty jealously at your friend with a million bucks. And you're almost out of month and you've only got $167,772 in your account. But day 26, you have three thirty-five. dollars 544. $335,544. Day 27, $671,000. And finally on day 28, you cross the million dollar mark. You're at $1,342,000. And now it gets good. Day 29, 2,684,000. Day 30, 5,368,000. And on day 31, your magic penny is now worth ten million seven hundred. Amazing, huh? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that absolutely incredible? Now, I don't want to just spend time thinking about how incredible it it truly is. I want to talk today about what are the lessons that we can learn from this illustration because sadly, it's only an illustration. I'm not aware of any investment in the world that I can find and participate in that will double my money every day for a month. So this is primarily a thought experiment. But certainly there are lessons from this that we can learn, and that's what I want to share with you. Lesson number one is rate of return matters. Rate of return matters big time. To go from one cent to $10.7 million in 31 days is only possible in a world where your money doubles every year. Now, can I tell you that there's an investment that you can buy, a mutual fund, a stock in which your money will double every year? Certainly not. At least not for 31 consecutive periods. But are there things that you can do financially that will double your money? I believe there are. You want to make sure that you're taking advantage of those things. One of the trends in our society that I see that really concerns me is people have simply assumed that you cannot beat the market. And they've assumed this with good reason, by the way. Much of the academic research illustrates that almost nobody can beat the market. The problem with that scenario, however, is that that's primarily limited to stock market returns. And that is the data is all based upon mutual fund stock market returns because that's where the most reliable data is. But there are problems with that data. And also, the other problem is not that nobody can beat the market because that's not what the data says. The data says that you can't reliably predict in advance who is going to beat the market. And you can't be confident that their market beating performance is going to persist over a long period of time. That's what the data says. What's interesting is. However, there are a bunch of flaws in it and I'm not going to go into that today but what's happened, what I've seen happen in our society is many times people have just simply said, well, I'm not going to bother to try that. I'm not going to bother to try to find good investments and this is death to your wealth building. Let me give a couple examples. Instead of focusing on the magic penny, let's do a little math here and let's focus on a – let's put in a 40-year uh, investment time horizon, so 40 years, and let's run some different interest rates. Uh, let's say we invest uh, – let's, let's, let's do a Roth IRA contributions. Uh, let's just do, do $5,000 a year, just un, under the Roth IRA contributions. So we're going to put in $5,000 annually into an investment portfolio over 40 years, starting with nothing, and we're going to calculate what, at different rates of return, our money is worth at the end of 40 years. So let's start with a 4% rate of return. 4% rate of return, $5,000 invested annually at the end of 40 years is $475,000. That's big money, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, that's big money, which should give you hope that even if you invest at a relatively low rate of return – you still can wind up wealthy if you have enough time, but that's lesson number two, so we'll come back to that in a moment. What if we raise this from 4% to 6%? Now at the end of 40 years, instead of four seventy five, we have $773,000. What if we go from 6% to 8%? At the end of 40 years, now we have $1,295,000. Let's pop this up to 10% and see what we have. Well, now we have $2,212,000. Big difference. Between four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars at four percent, and two point two million dollars at ten percent. Now, question: What about fifteen percent? Eight point eight, excuse me, eight point nine million dollars. It's eight million eight hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. What about twenty percent? Twenty percent, it's thirty-six million dollars. Rate of return matters. Can I tell you how to get a 20% annualized rate of return in the stock market? I don't have a clue how to do that. But I guarantee you there's something in your life where you can get a 20% rate of return. It'll be different for everybody. But there's something somewhere, someplace that you can get a massive rate of return. It may simply be a 20% discount on some of the services and expenses that you uh, are already incurring it may be avoiding 20% interest rate credit card debt. It there's something in your life where you can get a 20% rate of return. Can you do that every year for 30, you know, for 40 years? I don't know, probably not, but there's some people who have. And that's the key. Some people have. Usually this is in private enterprise and the growth of business. Uh but leave that for another day. Rate of return matters. Don't ever forget that and don't ever stop looking and saying, where is the most efficient place that I can allocate my capital right now? Where can I put my money to work for me right now in the best, most efficient arrangement possible? That's the first lesson from the magic penny. Those numbers are so incredible because of the rate of return. In a world of 100% annual increases, it's hard not to get wealthy. Look for those places in your life and take advantage of them. Don't ever walk past the 50% off sale and uh, you know be thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't matter. No, look at it and say, that's 50% off. That's the magic penny. Don't ever walk past the ways that you can increase money substantially and say, ah, it's no big deal. That's the magic penny. Put that, to, put that habit to use in your life in every area and it will serve you well. Next lesson is the amount of time you invest matters. You can't escape the influence of time. The power of compound interest is driven by what is the rate of return and how long can we get those returns and how much do we start with. Now, what's fun about the Magic Penny scenario is it pulls out that third variable, how much we start with, and it focuses on the rate of return and how long we get those returns. But let's go back to the days uh, – let's go back to 21 days. We're three weeks into this month, 21 days, and we're up to $10,485. We're falling behind here, aren't we? That's not much money comparatively speaking. Compare 10000 to a million. There's a big difference there day twenty five we're up to one hundred and sixty seven thousand, but it's only in those last four days where we break a million and then the magic happens. day twenty seven is six hundred seventy one thousand then on day twenty eight it's one million three hundred forty two thousand day twenty nine two million six hundred and eighty four thousand day thirty five million three hundred and sixty eight thousand and day thirty one ten million seven hundred thirty seven thousand dollars. What would have happened if this had been the month of February instead of the month of December in our example? Well, you'd have $1.3 million. And is that measurably better than a million dollars? Yes. $300,000 for 28 days of sitting around, I'll take it. But it's nowhere near as dramatic as $10,737,000. And that's a key lesson. Now – There's another example that's often used when teaching people about compound interest that I both like and dislike. And that's the example of two different individuals who start investing at different ages. And what how this example is usually presented is as an example of two investors side by side. And one investor begins investing let's say $2000 per year at the you know at the age of 18 is often what it is. And the other investor waits until the age of 30 and then starts investing $2000 per year. What you find is that the person who waits till a later age winds up with investing more money and with less dollars, excuse me, usually the, the in the person who starts at 18, they usually start investing and then stop. So let's, let's run a little math here as an example. Let's say that you have an 18-year-old investor and for this example, I'm going to use a 10% interest rate. Uh, and this person starts $2,000 per year. If you started at $2,000 every year from 18 to 65 at a 10% interest rate, you would have $1.9 million. But now – if you compare these two things in this way, look at the difference of numbers. If our initial investor begins at 18 with $2,000 and contributes for 10 years from 18 through, the 20, through year 27, uh, he or she invests a total of $20,000. Then the money continues to grow and at 65, this person has $1,260,000. In scenario B, this investor starts investing at 28, invests $2,000 per year every year from 28 to 65. They invest a total of $76,000 and they have in their portfolio only $660,000. Time matters. That extra 10 years of compounding is huge. Now, compare that to the magic penny. That extra four days of compounding is huge. Time matters. Now, what was always frustrating to me about this example, and I was inspired by this example when I was young and I started investing when I was 18 years old and said, hey, i got to put my money aside. i got to put my money aside. i got to put my money aside. But what's frustrating to me about this chart is no one gives the other side. And so I'm going to do that for you. Now, let's say that you're 28. What do you need to do to catch up? Well, at age 28, investor A, the one who started at 18, now has $37,000 in their account. And then they stop contributing. All you need to do if you're 28 to catch up save $37,000. So if you're 28 years old and you're listening to this episode and you're about to go out and buy a $37,000 car, don't. Invest the $37,000. Or if you're age 38, where is investor A at age 38? Well, investor A at age 38 has $96,130 in their portfolio. If you're 38 years old and you're feeling behind, all you got to do to catch up is invest $96,000. Now, is that a lot of money? Sure. Can you find it? Yes. If you haven't saved it, get started. That's the point because from age 38 to age 40, investor A, who started with $2,000 for 10 years, the growth in their portfolio goes from $96,000 to $116,000. Let's say that you, at age thirty-eight, want to wake up and say, "I got to save some money," and you want to, you know, get this thing going for you. Well, one hundred and sixteen thousand divided by three is forty thousand dollars. Can you find a way to save forty thousand dollars? Maybe not. But let's say between forty-four, you know, and I mean, you can run the math, you know, forever. If you've got eight years, can you save twenty thousand a year? The point is, get started. And if you want to catch up, it's relatively easy to catch up on this interest chart if you just simply identify where you are and where you want to go and put more money after it. Time matters. So run these examples of the two individuals, the one who has the longer time period, and try to get that time period working on your side. And if you're behind, don't worry about it. Just catch up easy for me to say, right? <laughs> Lesson number three, in the beginning, it's easy to spend and that's what most people do. So let's go back to this magic penny. After 10 days of investing, one penny doubling each day, 1 cent, 2 cent, 4 cents, 8 cents, 16, 32 cents, 64 cents, $1.28, $2.56, $5.12. On day 10, you have $5.12. What do most people do when they accumulate $5.12? They spend it. They go to their local fast food store and they buy a value meal. It's easy to spend, isn't it? What if we go another ten days? So five dollars goes to ten dollars twenty four, twenty forty eight, forty ninety six, eighty one ninety two, one sixty three eighty four, three twenty seven sixty eight, six fifty five thirty six, one thousand three ten seventy two, two thousand six twenty one, and on day twenty now we have five thousand two hundred and forty two dollars. What do most people do when they have $5,242.88 piled up? They spend it. And they drop back 20 days in their interest chart. Now, I don't know necessarily what they spend it on. $5,000 to me sounds like a round-the-world trip ticket. (laughs) That's what I would spend it on. Some people, it's a down payment on a fancy card. Some people, it's, I don't know, half of a down payment on a house. But they spend it. You're at day 20 and you have $5,242 and you spend it, not recognizing that in 11 days, $5,242 will grow to be $10,737,418.24. Every dollar matters in the beginning. Every single dollar matters in the beginning the Bible, in the book of Zechariah, it says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Now, that's completely taken out of context, but it's become a, uh, a common phrase because it's so useful. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise $5,000 of capital. Don't despise $5 of capital. That is your seed capital for your fortune. That's the seed capital for your empire. Don't despise that and squander it. Don't despise the day of small beginnings, many people do that, and especially if you're interested in building wealth, remember if all your friends took the million bucks and are spending it, you're sitting over here with your five thousand dollars. <laughs> you look a little foolish, don't you? You look a little foolish. you look a little foolish when you're driving your you know your cheap car or your your I don't know, what you're living in your small apartment or you're uh, building your business. You look a little foolish. But don't worry about it. Stay focused because in the beginning, every dollar is important. So easy to spend in the beginning and that's what most people do. But that's not you. You're not most people. Now, in the later years, you can really siphon off some money without too much damage to your portfolio. And this is the corollary. Both of these things are exciting. In the fullness of time, assuming you're around to enjoy the growth of your investments, you can siphon off some money. Let's say that on day 27, now you're up to $671,088. You're well on your way to being a millionaire. You know the next day if you don't take any money off, it's going to be $1,342,000. You're well on your way. Now, you want to buy a new car and you want to pull off $30,000? Does that measurably impact your financial plan? Not really. Not Comparatively speaking, so if you're older and you've got this compound interest working on your side, spend some money. It doesn't, you can spend some money and increase your lifestyle without it measurably impacting your investment results. It's a big deal, but you can't do that when you're young. I like to read biographies and autobiographies and. I remember, well, which one to use? Let's use, as an example, Warren Buffett, uh, the book Snowball, which was one of the more recent comprehensive biographies that was written on Warren Buffett. I like to use Warren Buffett just simply because he's well-known in our society, and it's good to learn lessons from him. Uh, In many ways, though, he's kind of Pull a very polarizing figure, but is an easy person to pick on since everyone knows about him. It's a little harder to to you know pull something from the life of Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Edison and and or Henry Ford or Andrew Carnegie or or Rockefeller and be able to apply the same lessons. But because Buffett is this living figure, I often will use him. But because people know a little bit of his history, but one of the things that really has impressed me about Buffett. Uh, when I read uh, Snowball, and I think I read another biography, I can't remember the name of it as, as well, but is Buffett's always been rich since he was a kid. Now, I'm not accusing him of uh, you know, being handed money, he wasn't, but he's always been rich. He just never bothered to spend it, and he's simply old now. And he's had lots of years of compounding. That's why he's as rich as he is. If you go back and you read his biography, it's fascinating how at a young age, what was it? I think it was Cokes or something like that. He was buying bottles of Cokes for 10 cents and selling them to his friends at school for 15 cents. He was running a paper route. He and a buddy of his started, I think it was a pinball machine business when they were in high school. By the time he went to college, he had lots of money compared to everyone else around. But he'd earned it all himself and he'd saved it. He just never spent it. Another thing most people don't realize is that he was rich all through his life. He just was focused on his investment earnings and keeping his capital to invest, So, which I respect him for that. That's awesome. That's what all of us should be doing. But if he had just earned all his money on a paper route and had never piled any of it aside, then when he goes to college, he's got tens of thousands of dollars. Well, he would have had to figure out a way to earn those tens of thousands of dollars again. And if he hadn't been rich when he got married, he would have been in the situation that many of us are in where we're not rich and now we're figuring out how do we juggle family responsibilities and building money Some, and building capital. It's so much easier if you hang on to your, to your, to your money at a young age and, and build that, that money. But in the end, again, doesn't matter a bit to Warren Buffett's net worth if he uh, you know, buys planes and yachts and all that stuff. It doesn't make a dent. So understand where you are in the compounding cycle. Number four. In the beginning, the amount you save matters more than the interest. In the beginning, the amount you save matters more than the interest. This is kind of the corollary of in the beginning, it's easy to spend. In, scenari- in, in any scenario, but in the scenario of, of uh, this comp, magic penny, and again, I talked about if you're behind, what do you do? Just save the other extra five bucks. What if instead of starting with one cent, this person has started with – in this magic penny, this person started with one dollar? Let's just see what that does. Stick a dollar in here. Well, at the end of thirty day, 31 days, there would be billions. Okay, So $1,073,741,000. It's a big difference from one cent to a dollar. We'll come to that at the end of the show. We'll talk a little bit about large numbers and how hard they are for us to, to conceive of. My major point here is just simply that in the beginning of building wealth, the amount that you save matters more than the interest. Uh, If you are getting started, focus single-mindedly on how much you're saving and figure out the interest, how you're going to invest it next. This matters hugely. One major mistake that I see a lot of times in personal finance is that Young people who aren't saving that much money are spending all kinds of time and focus on figuring out how do I eke out a better rate of return. I discovered this in college uh, when you know, friends are figuring out how do I trade futures or how do I um, trade options or how do I buy this magic stock that's going to break through the barrier. Does that matter? It does if it works. But comparatively speaking to saying how can I earn more so that I can save more, that should be the first focus. Now, on the flip side, this is actually number five, in the end of a compounding growth, the interest matters more than the amount you save. So this has its own lessons. But the major personal finance lesson was number four is focus at the beginning on piling up a big nest egg. Because remember, you can, it's relatively easy to catch up to compounding for the first half of the chart. On the back half of the chart, is hard to fa- it's hard to catch up. So focus first on the amount. Now on the flip side, number five, in the end, the interest matters more than the amount. And this is another mistake that I see a lot of times uh, people making in their port- wealth-building portfolios. Let's assume that you are 65 years old. And let's assume uh, – just for, for, for the sake of having a clean point of comparison, let's assume that we can pull – you have an extra million dollars. Uh, Because many of you who are in this audience do have an extra million or you will have an extra million at the age of 65. The challenge with growing older is often that you're advised to have your portfolio structured more conservatively. And that is correct if that portfolio is funding a specific income need. You have to have a portfolio's risk tolerance matched to the needs of income from it. So if you just have a million dollars and that's going to be your entire portfolio to last you through a 30- or 40-year retirement, man, you, it's hard. To, you can't afford to take a lot of risk. Now, depending on how we're defining t- risk in terms of inflation risk or market risk, conversation for another day. Point is we can't take much risk. That's why you see these things, these you know, generic standardized ideas that as you get older, make your co- portfolio more conservative. What's the problem? You're in those golden years at which you've got a massive portfolio, and the single biggest factor that's going to affect the growth of your portfolio is not whether you're pinching pennies at the $2 buffet. It's what's the interest rate at which my portfolio was invested. Let's give an example. So now let's go – you're at 65 years old. So let me give you a 30-year investment time horizon, a million-dollar portfolio. So let's put in a million dollars for our present value. Uh, Let's put in a – let's say a 5% rate of return to start with, zero payments. And what's that worth at the end of 30 years? So Zero payments because you're not contributing any more to it. $4.3 million at 5% interest. That's what the ending value of your portfolio would be. And I could do these calculations where you're pulling off income and show the income growth, but I want to keep it simple for podcast math here. 30 years, $1 million at 5 – what did I use? 5%. 5% grows to $4.3 million. Now, let's say that you could in 10%. What's the difference there? Well, at the other end of 30 years, you have $17,449,000 at 10%. Why? Because you're starting with a million bucks. The 30 years still matters, but you're not starting with zero like you were at a younger age. You got a million dollars. And this is fundamentally one of the biggest mistakes that so many people are making with their portfolios is automatically going, quote-unquote, safer, more conservative, giving up potential return with their portfolios. Now, safety matters. Don't, don't, hear, don't mishear me. Safety matters. You've got to match the income from a portfolio to the income uh, cash flow requirements that you need in your life. But if you have an extra million bucks and you don't need to automatically give up potential return, think of the impact that can make on your family. Think of the impact that can make uh, – just think of the impact the money can make. That's why the rich get richer all the time. It's because you reach a certain point at which you can't possibly spend all the money. Well, I guess maybe it's a little excessive. You reach a certain point at which it's very hard and it takes great dedication and effort to spend all the money. (laughs) 12% – I want to put this in here. Let's say 12% uh, on my example, 30 years of investing, $30 million. So you say, why is it that it, you know all rich people don't just simply hire, uh, put all their money in an index fund like Jack Bogle says? Maybe they should. Who knows? i will let them decide. But if you can get from 10% to 12% or let's just say – so let me, uh, let me rerun this so I make sure I get my numbers precise. 10% here, future value of 10% $1 million dollars invested over 30 years is $17.4 million. 12% invested over 30 years is $30 million. 15%? Over 30 years, $66 million. So it starts to get a little bit laughable. But the point is towards the back end of your investment career, however long that is, the rate of return matters far more than the amount of money you put aside. So now if you take this to society and you compare this lesson, what is the mistake that you see? You see at a young age many people squandering all of their investment capital, using it up in consumption instead of an investment. And again, I'm guilty of this myself in so many ways. We all have to decide how are we gonna apply these lessons. But just as a general rule, what do young people do at the beginning of their life? They consume. They consume. Whether it's you're a teenager and you can as I was, a fool, uh, you know, and consume all my money on a movie ticket and um, you know, stuff or whether you consume it all on, uh, on travel or on uh, being a heavy drinker and going out every Friday and Saturday night and you know blowing 150 bucks on your weekly bar tab or whether you consume it on a fancy-looking car or whether you assume, consume it on a fancy-looking house or whether you consume it on exotic vacations or whatever. Most of the time in our society when people have money, they consume it early. They consume it. That's the time at which it needs to be invested. Now, the other major mistake, let's say that you've accumulated some capital. What do many people do with capital? Well, they pull back on their potential rates of return, and that destroys the potential of that capital, and they walk away, many people, from millions of extra potential dollars. Just recognize that. None of these things can be applied in a vacuum of an individual situation, but it's useful to have as a mental construct. When you come and you look at your situation, you say, where am I and what can I do? And that's the key, is is how to apply it. The key is get compounding and get compound interest working on your side, no matter how. The cool thing is Compounding and compound interest is already working on our sides. We're all enjoying the benefits of compounding. We're all enjoying it already. Let me give you an example. This is why it frustrates me that we don't recognize it. I'm just starting to read, and I actually wanted—I wanted to do this show before I read the book because I knew that if I read the book, I was my opinions were going to be colored. But I'm just starting to read Peter Thiel's new book. Uh, excuse me, Peter Diamandis, uh, Diamandis. i don't know how you say his last name. Diamandis is Diamandis. Is his last name. Um, he's the guy who uh, started the. Uh, uh, the X Prize, uh, not Peter Thiel, excuse me. Um, and he, uh, Peter DeMandis has this new book called uh, Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. And what's interesting to me is it's very – it's fascinating because it's very technologically focused. So I just was I, – I, I got the book and I was flipping through it just to look real quick at a quick overview of what it's about. And he has this really interesting chart that fascinates me. Uh, and it's basically the application of Moore's Law. Moore's Law, which is over a certain period of time, uh, the computing power of of chips, of of, of the uh, microprocessor, doubles and and the price halves. I think it's 18 months. I forget what's, what the specific, specifics of it are. But basically everything over time gets cheaper and everything technology-related gets cheaper and better with a massive scale. And this has been held consistent for decades now and it's fascinating. But – uh, he puts in here a chart, and evidently this is from his book Abundance. Uh, and he says that there are over nine hundred thousand dollars worth of applications that come free and included in every smartphone today. And think about this: the majority of you listening to me are listening on a smart device of some kind, smartphone. Think about all these applications. Number one, video conferencing in today's dollars, in today's world, it's free. It's free. It's included whether it's on Skype or whether it's in FaceTime or whatever the – I don't know what the Android equivalents of that are. Uh, in 1982, Compression Labs Video Conferencing had an MSRP of $250,000. If you bring that forward into 2011 dollars, that would be $586,000 was how much it cost to do video conferencing in 1982. GPS today included in your phone, free. Navstar, 1982, sold it for $119,000. Adjusted for inflation, is $280,000. Digital voice recorder, today, free. Sony PCM, in 1978, sold it for $2,500. And in 2011 dollars, that's the equivalent of $8,687. Digital watch, free. Seiko, 1969, $1,250. 5 megapixel camera, today, free. 1986, Canon, free. RC-701, $3,000 MSRP. A medical library, today, free. Example here was, uh, uh, I guess, a a library called Consultant, 1987, cost up to $2,000. Video player, today, free. 1981, Toshiba V8000, $1,245. Video camera, today, free. RCA CC010, 1981, $1,000 MSRP. Music player, free. Sony, C- Sony CD player, 1982, $900. Encyclopedia today, free. 1989, Compton CD encyclopedia, $750. Video game console, free. Atari, 2,600 uh, in 1977 cost $200. You total all that up in, in inflation-adjusted dollars and it's worth over $900,000. And those are just the applications that come standard in a phone. Isn't that incredible? Now, you still obviously still have to buy the phone, Uh, so it's not technically free. You have to buy the device. But if you noticed how cheap those devices are getting and how the performance is going up, that's the application of Moore's Law. I'm sure I'm going to – I mean this is a subject that fascinates me because I see it happening all through our society and changing. Anything that's being touched by digits is, is, is subject to Moore's Law. It's getting cheaper and better constantly, cheaper, better, constantly, cheaper, better, cheaper, better, cheaper, better, cheaper, better, cheaper, better. And it doesn't show any signs of slowing. It's revolutionizing the world we live in. Uh, Why did I go into that? The reason I went into that was because we're all already enjoying those benefits. The fact that you're hearing me right now on a podcast, this was not possible without great technological acumen five years ago. Today, free and easy. Every one of you knows how to go to the App Store. Every one of you knows how to tell someone, go to the App Store and search Radical Personal Finance, and you can listen to my voice no matter where you are. So enjoy the benefits of compounding that are happening in society. And compounding happens in every area of life. We focus primarily on money, and I think that's valuable. But as I close, I want you to think about applying this to other areas of your life. After I prepared this – Uh, this outline, I went and pulled uh, a book off my shelf by Darren Hardy called The Compound Effect. And this is one of the best, simplest little books um, that was so helpful. And I went and and pulled this because I thought he did a good job in here. And what's funny is he started with the magic penny. Uh, (laughs) He started with the magic penny and then he went into this example here of how compounding happens in every area area of life. And I'm going to read to you – it's about six, five pages here from this book uh, where he's talking about the impact of compounding in other areas other than finance. And this happens in your job. This happens in your knowledge. This happens in your health. There's so many areas in which uh, we can experience compounding. But consider this and consider this examples. I'm reading from page 11. Highly recommend this book to you. A lot of you, I need to prepare a recommended reading list. This is a great one. It's just called The Compound Effect. Get it and read it. Uh, but page 11 here. Three friends. Let's take three buddies who all grew up together. They live in the same neighborhood with very similar sensibilities. Each makes around $50,000 a year. They're all married and have average health and body weight, plus a little bit of that dreaded marriage flab. Friend number one, let's call him Larry, plods along doing as he's always done. He's happy, or so he thinks, but complains occasionally that nothing ever changes. Friend number two, Scott, starts making some small seemingly inconsequential positive changes. He begins reading 10 pages of a good book per day and listening to 30 minutes of something instructional or inspirational on his commute to work. Scott wants to see changes in his life but doesn't want to make a fuss over it. He recently read an interview with Dr. Mehmet Oz in Success Magazine and chose one idea from the article to implement in his life. He's going to cut 125 calories from his diet every day. No big deal. We're talking maybe a cup of cereal less, trading that can of soda for a bottle of seltzer, switching from mayo to mustard on his sandwich. Doable. He's also started walking a couple thousand extra steps per day, less than a mile. No grand acts of bravery or effort. Stuff anyone could do. But Scott is determined to stick with these choices, knowing that even though they're simple, he could also easily be tempted to abandon them. Friend number three, Brad, makes a few poor choices. He recently bought a new big screen TV so he can watch more of his favorite programs. He's been trying out the recipes he's seen on the Food Channel. The cheesy casseroles and desserts are his favorites. Oh, and he installed a bar in his family room and added one alcoholic drink per week to his diet. Nothing crazy. Brad just wants to have a little more fun. At the end of five months, no Perceivable differences exist among Larry, Scott, or Brad. Scott continues to read a little bit every night and listen to audios during his commute. Brad is enjoying life and doing less. Larry keeps doing as he has always as he always has. Even though each man has his own pattern of behavior, five months isn't long enough to see any real decline or improvement in their situations. In fact, if you charted the three men's weights, you'd see a rounding error of zero. They'd look exactly equal. At the end of 10 months, we still can't see noticeable changes in any of their lives. It's not until we get to the end of the 18th month that the slightest differences are measurable in these three friends' appearances. But at about month 25, we start seeing really measurable, visible differences. At month 27, we see an expansive difference, and by month 31, the change is startling. Brad is now fat, while Scott is trim. By simply cutting 125 calories a day in 31 months, Scott has lost 33 pounds. The math here, 31 months equals 940 days. 940 days times 125 calories a day is 117,500 calories saved. 117,500 calories saved times one pound, which has 3,500 calories, is 33.5 pounds. That's the math. Brad ate only 125 calories more a day in that same time frame and gained 33.5 pounds. Now he weighs 67 pounds more than Scott. But the differences are more significant than weight. Scott's invested almost 1,000 hours reading good books and listening to self-improvement audios. By putting his newly gained knowledge into practice, he's earned a promotion and a raise. Best of all, his marriage is thriving. Brad, he's unhappy at work and his marriage is on the rocks. And Larry? Larry is pretty much exactly where he was two and a half years ago, except now he's a little more bitter about it. The phenomenal power of the compounding effect is that simple. The difference between people who employ the compound effect for their benefit compared to their peers who allow the same effect to work against them is almost inconceivable. It looks miraculous, like magic or quantum leaps. After 31 months or 31 years, the person who uses the positive nature of the compound effect appears to be an overnight success. In reality, his or her profound success was the result of small, smart choices completed consistently. Over time. The results in the above example seem dramatic, I know, but it goes even deeper than that. The reality is that even one small change can have a significant impact that causes an unexpected and unintended ripple effect. Let's put one of Brad's bad habits under the microscope eating rich food more frequently to better understand how the compound effect can also work in a negative way and can create a ripple effect that impacts your entire life. Brad makes some muffins from a recipe he learned from the Food Channel. He's proud, and his family loves it, and it seems to add value all around. He starts making them and other sweets frequently. He loves his own cooking and eats more than his share, but not so much that anyone notices. However, the extra food makes Brad sluggish at night. He wakes up a little groggy, which makes him cranky. The crankiness and sleep deprivation begin to impact his work performance. He's less productive and, as a result, gets discouraging feedback from his boss. By the end of the day, he feels dissatisfied with his job and his energy level is way down. The commute home seems longer and more stressful than ever. All of this makes him reach for more comfort food. Stress has a way of doing that. The overall lack of energy makes Brad less likely to take walks with his wife like he used to. He just doesn't feel like it. She misses their time together and takes his withdrawal personally. With fewer shared activities with his wife and an absence of fresh air and exercise, Brad's not getting the endorphin release that had helped make him feel upbeat and enthusiastic. Because he's not as happy, he starts finding fault with himself and others and stops complimenting his wife. As his own body starts to feel flabby, he feels less self-confident, less attractive, and becomes less romantic brad doesn't realize how his lack of energy and affection toward his wife affects her he just knows that he feels funky he starts losing himself in late night tv because it's easy and distracting feeling his distance brad's wife starts to complain then becomes needy when that doesn't work she emotionally withdraws to protect herself she's lonely she pours her energy into her work and spends more time with her girlfriends to fulfill her need for companionship Men start flirting with her, which makes her feel desirable again. She would never cheat on Brad, but he has a feeling something's wrong. Instead of seeing that his poor choices and behaviors are at the root of their problems, he finds fault with his wife. Believing that the other person is wrong rather than looking inside and doing the work necessary to clean up your mess is basic psychology 101 stuff. In Brad's case, he doesn't know know to look inside. They don't offer self improvement or relationship advice on Top Chef or his favorite crime shows. However, the thought may have occurred to him that if he had read, the thought may have occurred to him that if he had read the personal development books his buddy Scott reads, he might have learned about ways to change negative habits. Unfortunately for Brad, the small choices he made on a daily basis created a ripple that wreaked havoc. On every area of his life. Of course, all that calorie counting and intellectual stimulation has had the opposite effect with Scott, who is now reaping the bounty of positive results. It's that simple. With enough time and consistency, the outcomes become visible. Better yet, they're totally predictable. The compound effect is predictable and measurable. That's great news. Isn't it comforting to know that you only need to take a series of tiny steps consistently over time to radically improve your life? Doesn't that sound easier than mustering up some grand show of bravery and heroic strength only to wear yourself out and have to drum up all that energy again at a later date for another try, which will likely be unsuccessful? I'm exhausted just thinking about it, but that's what people do. We've been conditioned by society to believe in the effectiveness of a great display of massive effort. It's downright all-American. The most challenging aspect of the compound effect is that we have to keep working away for a while, consistently and efficiently, before we can begin to see the payoff. Our grandparents knew this, though they didn't spend their evenings glued to the TV watching infomercials about how to have thin thighs in 30 days or a real estate kingdom in six months. I bet your grandparents worked six days a week from sunup to sundown using the skills they learned in their youth and repeatedly throughout their entire life. They knew the secret was hard work, discipline, and good habits. It's interesting that wealth tends to skip a generation. Overwhelming abundance often leads to a lackadaisical mentality which brings about a sedentary lifestyle. Children of the wealthy are especially susceptible. They weren't the ones who developed the discipline and character to create the wealth in the first place. So it makes sense that they may not have the same sense of value for uh, for wealth or understand what's necessary to keep it. We frequently see this entitlement mentality in children of royalty, movie stars, and corporate executives and to a lesser degree, in children and adults everywhere. As a nation, our entire populace seems to have lost appreciation for the value of a strong work ethic. We've had two, if not three, generations of Americans who have known great prosperity, wealth, and ease. Our expectations of what it really takes to create lasting success, things like grit, hard work, and fortitude, aren't alluring. And thus have been mostly forgotten. We've lost respect for the strife and struggle of our forefathers, the massive effort they put forth instilled discipline, chiseled their character, and stoked the spirit to brave new frontiers. The truth is, complacency has impacted all great empires, including but not limited to the Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, Spanish, Portuguese, French, and English. Why? Because nothing fails like success. Once dominant empires have failed for this very reason, people get to a certain level of success and get too comfortable. Having experienced extended periods of prosperity, health, and wealth, we become complacent. We stopped doing what we did to get us there. If we want to succeed, we need to recover our grandparents' work ethic. It's time to restore our character, if not for the sake of saving America, at least for your own greater success and achievement. Don't buy into the genie-in-a-lamp idea. You can sit on your couch waiting to attract checks in your mailbox, rub crystals together, walk on fire, channel that 2,000-year-old guru, or chant affirmations if you want to. But much of that is hocus-pocus commercialism, manipulating you by appealing to your weaknesses. Real and lasting success requires work and lots of it. I have a quick real-time story to illustrate this nothing fails like success concept. A great new restaurant opened up close to my home on the beach in San Diego. In the beginning, the place was always immaculate. The hostess had a big, welcoming smile for everyone. The service was impeccable. The manager came over and assured it, and the food was sensational. Soon, people started lining up to eat there and would often wait more than an hour to be seated. Then, unfortunately, the restaurant staff began to take its success for granted. The hostess became snooty, the service staff disheveled and curt, and the food quality hit or miss. The place was out of business within 18 months. They failed because of their success, or rather because they stopped doing what made them successful to begin with. Their success clouded their perspective, and they slacked off. Understanding the compound effect will rid you of insta-results expectation. The belief success should be as fast as your fast food, your one-hour glasses, your 30-minute photo processing, your overnight mail, your microwave eggs, your instant hot water, and text messaging. Enough, okay? Promise yourself that you're going to let go once and for all of your lottery winner expectations because, let's face it, you only hear stories about the one winner, not the millions of losers, The person you see jumping up and down in front of the Vegas slot machine or at the Santa Anita horse track doesn't reveal the hundreds of times that same person lost. If we go back to our mathematical chance of a positive result, again, we have a rounding error of zero, as in you have about zero chance of winning. Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert, author of Stumbling on Happiness, says that if we gave lottery losers each 30 seconds on TV to announce not, I won – But I lost. It would take almost nine years to get through the losers of a single drawing. When you understand how the compound effect works, you won't pine for quick fixes or silver bullets. Don't try to fool yourself into believing that a mega-successful athlete didn't live through regular bone-crushing drills and thousands of hours of practice. He got up early to practice and kept practicing long after all others had stopped. He faced the sheer agony and frustration of the failure, loneliness, hard work, and disappointment it took to become number one. By the end of this book, or even before, I want you to know in your bones that your only path to success is through a continuum of mundane, unsexy, unexciting, and sometimes difficult daily disciplines compounded over time. Know too that the results, the life, and the lifestyle of your dreams can be yours when you put the compound effect to work for you. <laughs> it's probably a good sales pitch for the, uh, for the book, right? <laughs> if you can't tell, it's a good one. I haven't read it in at least what, three or four years probably since it came out. I bought it right when it came out. And I just pulled it off the shelf this morning and said I want uh, – because I remembered his example and I wanted to find it. It's a good, it's a good book. Highly recommended. That's the compound effect. Now, just knowing it isn't enough. You know, I've known that for a long time. Uh, but you know, for me, one I, of I, I apply, I am applying the compound effect and radical personal finance and some of my business ventures in lots of things. Um, but is it just because I apply it in one area doesn't mean I'm applying in all the other areas. For me, my weakness is uh, my own physical health. You know, fat and flabby and weak. And so I'm working on that. Uh, I've got. Uh, been getting some help, uh, and I'm working hard on that to apply it. Um, but I've realized, even for me, and I'm just sharing with you as one person who's learning alongside you. Uh, I'm not an expert on, on on these things. I'm an amateur, uh, and even for me, just simply recognizing that nothing comes in 30 days. I've, I'm learning even more. I've learned a little bit over the years, but I'm learning even more to train myself to completely ignore overnight so-called success stories because I can't control that. Yeah, maybe somebody else can lose 80 pounds in 60 days and build 50 pounds of muscle, but I'm not sure that I can control that. Maybe I can. This uh, This goes back to just the principles of investing. You have to hold these things together. They're seemingly disconnected, but they're together. All I can control is do I work, do I save, do I put my money in, and do I make wise choices? And am I making as wise of a choice as I possibly can? I can't necessarily control that this one investment is going to multiply 100-fold. It's possible. All I can control, though, is that I'm making wise choices and I'm putting money in and I'm investing. Same thing in any area of life. Maybe we do respond better and that's when you do get the overnight successes, so-called. But as he points out, the athlete who walks into a $10 million contract, they didn't walk in there. There were years of hard work in their backstory years learn the lessons of the magic penny apply them in your own life and get compounding working to you that's the core of what I wanted to cover in today's show I hope it's useful to you I hope you can take these concepts and, and, and build on them uh, remember we all don't feel bad if you're behind in something I, I hate that how oftentimes people look at these charts or hear about compound interest they throw up their hands the point is not to throw up your hands but to start wherever you are you know, going on my health example, I've failed for years at health. I've waffled all over the place. Does it do me any good to sit back and focus on that? It doesn't do me a bit of good. What does me good is to wake up and say, I'm going to start again, and I'm not going to quit. Same thing for you, whether it's money, health, marriage, career, um, anything in life. grows over time. And as an example with Larry and the other two guys, Brad and whomever, um, you can't see it, the effects in the first place. You know, with the show, I can't see the effects. All I can do is show up and do my best. But over time, I get better, people hear about it, and you start to get the compounding effect. So, what is it? Where are you applying the compounding effect in your life? That's the core. So. That's it. Um, Thank you so much for listening. If you have gotten benefit from this, I would ask you to consider uh, supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, As of right now, we are up to 44 patrons and $603 per month. So we're over 25% of the way there to our initial goal of $2,000 per month. At $2,000 per month, we swap out the intro music. Probably keep this for the outro can't beat it, right? Um, but I'll swap out the intro music for a better intro, and we're on our way to $6,000 per month by June 1. That's the major goal. If we can get $6,000 a month for the show by June 1, I will avoid advertisers and corporate um, sponsors and interests for the duration of the show. If we can't get to sit there by June 1, uh, I will need to go ahead and bring on some sponsors to make the show pay for itself um, a little bit better so that I can continue doing it, um, or at least doing it with the regularity and the frequency that I'm currently applying towards it. But I'd really love to avoid that. If every listener to the show gave two bucks a month, we'd be done. We'd be at six thousand a month. So consider going to radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron and patronize the show. I thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you'd like to contact me personally, my email address is joshua at RadicalPersonalFinance.com. dot com. You can also connect with the show on Twitter at radical and at facebook.com slash radicalpersonalfinance. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. But your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. Please, develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them Because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please help me by coming to the show page and commenting so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, thanks for being here.